Friends, I'd ask you to open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We are back into our uh, series of messages on the book of Peter. As we mentioned before, Peter is writing to a group of Christians in five Roman provinces in the modern-day nation of Turkey. They are along the Black Sea on the north side of the Anatolian Peninsula. And Peter is writing to them at an important stage in the history of the Christian church. As we'll see today, Peter is foreshadowing for them that there is trouble in their near future. Peter's letter to the five provinces he is foreshadowing for them something that is a turning point in in Christian history. Uh, we'll talk about it in just a moment, but the theme for this passage as Peter foreshadows trouble, dark clouds on the horizon, Peter gives cause for hope even in the face of this dire situation that the Christians in the Roman world are facing at this time. And it's based on Jesus and Peter speaks today about something that's wonderful. He speaks not only of Christ, but the name of Christ, the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, what a powerful passage that is. Philippians chapter 2, as the Apostle Paul reflects upon the name of Jesus, how he, was, uh, he humbled himself, he poured out his glory and came to live as a man and then humbled himself even to death like a criminal on the cross, but then God lifted him up and exalted him. And part of that exaltation focuses on the name of Jesus. It says in Philippians chapter 2 of that name which is above all names, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name that is above every name. Now in our day and in our culture, names are primarily for identification. Sometimes we will use the same name because it runs in our family. And that kind of reflects a bit of kinship. But largely we have lost the significance of names as we see them in the Bible and in the ancient world. Today a name is basically a sound you make a symbol you write which identifies somebody. It's a sound. It could be a number or something, but it's basically a sound. Frank, John, Sarah. We know some of these are ancient names that have meaning. Sometimes if you ever had somebody ask you, well, that's an interesting name. What does that name mean? And you say, I have no clue. It's just a name. It's just a way to identify me. But it wasn't like that in the ancient world. Specifically in Bible times, the name, when you spoke of the name of somebody, you spoke of who that person was in their heart of hearts, who they are in their character. It takes in the entire personhood, the name. They were very reluctant to share their names with one another because many cultures felt that if you knew a person's true name, you would know everything about them and have some power over them. And so people were very reticent to give their names to one another. The name of Jesus is like that. The name itself, the Hebrew name Jesus, we know it means, Yeshua means the Lord saves. Salvation is from the Lord. 
how true it is. That meaning is true. But when Scripture speaks of the name of Jesus, it speaks of the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. And so in the passage in Peter today, when he speaks of you carrying the name of Jesus, it's incredibly powerful. But it's something that we, who bear the name Christian, we largely take for granted, pay no attention to it at all. And we do that to our detriment. It hurts us in our faith if we don't realize the honor, the power that comes in bearing the name of Jesus. If you are a Christian, you bear the name of Jesus. This is why one of the commandments specifically says, do not take God's name in vain because of the importance of that. When you take God's name in vain, you disdain God's very nature, who He is. You insult the personhood of God if you take His name in vain because it's not just a way to identify somebody. The name of God has power. It speaks of who He is. As we look at Peter... One of the things that strikes me is that it's one of only three passages in the Bible, just three, that uses the word Christian. Isn't that interesting? Originally, Christian wasn't even something we used of ourselves. We called ourselves as follower of Jesus. Remember, Jesus identified himself many ways as the Son of Man. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we called ourselves followers of the way. That was seems the most common early name for ourselves. But those on the outside looking at us, followers of the Christ, the anointed one, one of many biblical names that apply to God's son Jesus, well, they took that name and they applied it to us in an insulting manner. In fact, the first thing I want to look at is that an insult becomes our greatest honor. When they use the word Christian, we don't find it used often because remember originally it was used by outsiders toward us. But by the time Peter writes his letter, we now have taken what began as an insult and use it as our name for ourselves. We are proud to bear the name of Christ. Now, Christian is a diminutive form of Christ. One of the great Byzantine emperors, when I was in Turkey a couple weeks ago, we had an opportunity to take our group into one of the oldest and greatest and largest churches ever built. It's been standing, in a couple years, it'll be standing for 1,500 years. It's the mighty church of holy wisdom, the Hagia Sophia of Constantinople, built when the previous church was destroyed in an anti-emperor, anti-government riot, it was rebuilt as the most glorious building in the world, the largest freestanding dome for 1,000 years was the Hagia Sophia. And it was built by an emperor with the name Justinian. Do you get that? The Ian at the end? Justinian means little Justin. Christian means Little Christ. It's like an insult. You're like little Jesuses, little Christs. And they did it mockingly, calling us little Christs. <laughs> but to bear the name of Jesus, we've always seen that as a great honor. 
They came to be known as followers of the Christ, followers of Jesus. We first see that name used for us in Acts chapter 11. In this passage, the church is exploding. It's growing in the Gentile world. And Barnabas, one of the leaders of the early church, remembers that the great persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, years earlier, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, had met Jesus in person on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. And he amazingly became a Christian and gave his heart to Jesus. And Barnabas is looking for Paul now known Saul, now known as Paul, to come and help him to teach this growing Gentile church. Acts chapter 11 speaks of that. Verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, one of the great cities of the Roman Empire. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. <laughs> the city of Antioch knew this group of Jews were growing in a strange way. The synagogues, as they saw Jews, the synagogues began to grow in a strange way because no longer was it growing just among the Jews. Now Gentiles in large numbers were going to this group. And so they didn't even call them Jews anymore. They needed a new name. And to mock them, they called them little Christs because these Jews said that the Jewish Messiah had come and they were followers of him. So they became known as Christians. Now, a number of years later, the Apostle Paul, remember, following the third missionary journey, there was a riot on the Temple Mount. He is arrested and he would have been released except he appealed his case all the way to the top. In the U.S., the Supreme Court made some landmark decisions this week, decisions that went from court to court, higher and higher to the very top. Well, in the Roman world, there was no Supreme Court. There was a supreme leader. And so if you appealed your case as a Roman citizen, you could appeal all the way up to Caesar himself. And that's what the Apostle Paul had done, appealed his case to Caesar, who at this time was the adopted son of Emperor Claudius, who had Claudius poisoned. This insane man took over, and his name was Nero. Paul, though, on his way, working his way through the legal system, he's imprisoned in Caesarea, first under Felix, and then the governor Festus. And while Festus is there, he asks his friend Agrippa, who's now a favorite of the Roman uh Caesar's Agrippa is a personal friend of that family, the royal family. He's the last of the line of Herodian kings, Agrippa II. So Festus says, Agrippa, bring your sister Bernice, who's eventually the mistress of future emperor Titus. He says, bring Bernice along. You got to see this guy. I have this Jewish Christian teacher. You got to get a load of this guy. And so they came and they interviewed the Apostle Paul while he's chained up there. And the Apostle Paul, he preaches an evangelistic message to them. And Agrippa and Festus, Festus says, Paul, your, your, your education has driven you insane. None of this makes any sense. A man that we crucified, Roman execution, you say he's alive today and you're his follower. But Agrippa, you can tell that Paul... Speaking of the Messiah, it was reaching him. 
But then he tells Paul, he kind of, he kind of brushes him off and tries to, tries to avoid that. It says in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except without these chains. <laughs> Paul says, yes, I want you to be a Christian, to give your heart to Jesus. So you see, Paul took that insulting title and he took it as a badge of pride. Oh yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and you, King Agrippa, need to be as well. The name of Jesus. In that name, whether we know Him as Jesus or call Him our Christ, there is power in the name of the Lord. Brings us to Peter, foreshadowing this turn of events, these dark clouds on the horizon. Peter says that there is going to be suffering, there is going to be glory in Jesus' name. Suffering and glory in Jesus' name. The great persecution is coming. Up until this time, Christians were not seen as Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Officially, we were still Jews. We were a Jewish subset. There's different, even today, for instance, in Israel, Jews, there's many types of uh, Jews, depending on their religion, whether they're Orthodox, whether they're uh, Reformed, and so forth, whether they're, they're uh, Hasidic, the, the people who are the very uh, strong uh, legalistic group. But in even today, ethnically, there, there's ethnic Jews. There's the Ashkenazi, who come primarily from Europe. They spoke Yiddish. There were the Sephardic Jews, who came from Spain. And when they were expelled from Spain after the, uh, after the Muslims were overthrown by Isabel and Ferdinand, they, uh, they needed to find another place to live. There's many types of Jews. So we were just seen as another sect of Judaism. Just like Pharisee, Sadducee, Herodian, Christian. We were that Messianic group of Judaism. And because of that, we had a bit of a free pass in the Roman Empire. You know, since the Romans had conquered Israel all the way back in 60 BC when the general Pompey was on his way to conquer Egypt and as an afterthought passing through Israel he says well as long as I'm here I'll conquer you and so he took over Israel went in the holy of holies the whole nine yards since that time the Romans learned the hard lesson that the Greeks before them had not learned that the Jews were more than an ethnic people they had more than a political government their faith was everything. If you went after Jewish religion, you were asking for trouble. There was going to be rebellion and revolt and revolution after revolution. And so the Romans said, what we'll do, politically, you'll be under our authority, but religiously, hands off. We're not going to bother you in your synagogues throughout the Roman world. You are free to practice your religion and not follow Roman religion. You're free to be religious Jews. 
They were the only ones that had that freedom in the whole Roman Empire. And this was God's amazing way to allow Christianity to spread early on without official government opposition. But when Peter writes 1 Peter, those days are done. Up until now, persecution has been occasional that is occasioned by just certain instances and it's been local remember when the apostle paul cast the demon out of the fortune-telling girl and he was beaten he and silas and thrown in prison they were persecuted but it was for an occasion and it was just local but now a fiery trial peter says is coming where all christians everywhere are going to be suffering and in danger we are losing our protective status no longer are we jews we're christians and so peter is telling you and i don't be afraid to bear the name of jesus even though suffering comes with the glory don't fear it He's preparing us as believers for this universal persecution and opposition from the Roman government. In 1 Peter chapter 4, begin reading in verse 12, Peter writes this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. Let's stop there. That's a complete mistranslation of an important word. The word proosius means to ignite something. Oh, I love to turn on the barbecue on the back deck. I turn the gas on. And I'm kind of goofy that way. I let the gas run for a little while before I get my barbecue lighter out. And then finally I put it in because I like it to go boom when it lights. Whoosh! And up it goes. And then your arm smells funny because you have no hair on your arm anymore. That was a good one, you know. And strange that way. That explosion of flame is proosius. It's the ignition This word doesn't mean painful trial. Peter is literally saying, don't think it's strange at the fiery trial you're suffering. And that works in a number of ways because early Christians, we were fed to the wild animals. We were put against trained gladiators. We were beheaded. We were crucified. And we were often burned. And who was the one that wrapped Christians in canvas covered it in tar put us on poles alive and lit us on fire to light his gardens at night emperor nero the reigning emperor the very one paul has appealed to the fiery trial for christians has just begun when peter writes this he says dear friends do not be surprised at the painful the fiery trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice that you are partic- that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed if you are insulted because of the name of Christ you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you you are blessed rejoice because this suffering will become glory well done good and faithful servant early believers felt that just as their lord and master had suffered at the hands of the authorities that when they suffered they were walking in jesus steps 
And when you bear the name of Jesus, it's your name. You are in Christ. It speaks of your position spiritually. Through faith in Jesus and the name of Christ, now His death to sin, His burial, and His resurrection is yours. You're walking in newness of life. You're living the resurrected life. Sin and death have no power over you. So as Peter says, do not fear what they fear. And Peter says, don't be surprised. Because when the Roman world rejects Jesus, when the Jewish people rejected Jesus as the Messiah, they reject those of us who bear His name as well. A wonderful example of this is found in Acts 5. We're in Acts, the book of Acts, a lot today. It's following, it's following the, uh, the uh, apostles being brought in and being told they couldn't use the name of Jesus anymore. They had to deny Jesus. And we read in verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in. This is the Sanhedrin, the same group that had tried Jesus and put him to death. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Disgrace for the name. We'll often avoid the name. Won't mention Christ, Christian, anything like that because we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't pe- want people to tease us. They were beaten. They were flogged as Jesus was flogged. And they counted themselves blessed. That they were worthy to suffer like their Lord had suffered. They had seen it. It was fresh in their hearts. Fresh in their memories. And they rejoiced. They were really followers of Jesus. They were in Christ. And they bore His name as Christ followers. Disgrace for the name is glory. Now, this passage, don't get me wrong, it's not saying, well, there'll be suffering today and glory tomorrow. Put up with this bad stuff because God's going to give you good stuff to balance it out. That's not what it says at all. It says the very thing that you're suffering from today will be the cause of your glory. Scripture, for instance, says that when a woman is in the travails of childbirth, I never experienced those travails, but I witnessed them. I am thankful every day that God made me a man. Yes, I am. When a woman is in the travails of childbirth, labor pains, it is suffering. (laughs) But what glory when that baby is born and mom and child lock eyes. And the pain is washed away in the glory of this new life. (laughs) Little kids practicing scales on the piano over and over and over. That pain is worth it to be able to play the beautiful music we heard today. Athletes lift weights. Training is suffering. No pain, no gain. Because all of that pain brings the glory of strength and skill. In the same way, The things God brings us through, those very things, are what makes us stronger as followers of Jesus. The glory of God rests on us. 
and the Holy Spirit in the midst of our suffering because we are in Christ and bear His name. Suffering and glory in Jesus' name. The final point is that if you bear the name of Jesus today, rejoice. Rejoice. Bearing the name is worthy of praise. You have the name of Jesus. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. You love Jesus. You're blessed to bear His name. To be in Him. To have that unity with Christ through faith in His name. Peter continues, and he makes that point so strongly in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Again, in the midst of suffering, with the dark clouds on the horizon, Peter says, if you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, third time it's ever mentioned in the Bible and last, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. You bear that name. You don't hide that you're a Christian. And it's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. The name of Jesus is the relationship we have with the risen Lord through faith in Him. We are in Christ and we bear His name. We love our earthly families, but the family that counts is the one whose name you took when you were christened into Christ. Now, we don't baptize babies around here, but I love the name that is used often in that christening. Because in those ceremonies, often a child was not given its name until it was baptized. We who follow the Lord in believers' baptism, we too are given a name. Have you never thought why we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? We're baptized in the name of Jesus Because we have that as our family name now. We are recognizing publicly that God has adopted us into His very family. And we bear the name. Praise the Lord. It's praiseworthy. and It's powerful. We'll look briefly before we close and enjoy some fellowship and cake together at a few things that we recognize that bearing the name of Jesus has an impact on you. First and foremost... Apart from the name of Jesus, there is no salvation. Salvation is found in Christ alone. There is no other name under heaven by which men are appointed to be saved than the name of Jesus. Romans 10, beginning in verse 11, tells us, as Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The name, the same Lord, is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. (laughs) It's not just calling on His name. It's not a magic formula. You're calling on the person of Christ Himself. His holiness, His strength, His mercy, His grace, His entire character as the living God. You call on Him. Call upon the name of Jesus in faith, and you will be saved. As I mentioned, we're baptized into that name. It public recognition that we are part and parcel of Jesus now. Through faith, we are in Christ. The water is a symbol of our unity with the Lord Himself. 
Peter on the day of Pentecost, they asked, brothers, what must we do to be saved? Peter had preached the sermon that had cut them to the quick. They wanted to know how to be saved. And Peter said, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. The book of Matthew says that the baptismal formula is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's Jesus. We're baptized into God. And we know His name. He is our Savior. We're followers of Jesus, the Christ. Baptized. I believe we have security, eternal security in that name. No one can take us from the hands of our good shepherd. Jesus speaks of that security as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the high priestly prayer. He didn't pray on his own behalf. He prayed for you and I. In verse 11 of John 17, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. We bear the name of Jesus. And Jesus prays for our unity. One of the great disgraces, puts a smile on the devil's face, is that the church of Jesus Christ is chopped up in so many little factions and tribes. Because there is only one name. And it's not Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal. There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's Jesus. And we need to recognize that the name of Jesus that unites us is far more important than the theological differences that believers in Christ have. We need to major in the majors. We have that security because of the name, the strong name of Jesus. Paul writing to the church in Colossae talks about being in Jesus and bearing His name should not just affect you on Sunday morning for an hour or two, but every day and in every way. When I was a boy, Aaron Bueller, former Manitoba Mennonite boy, was our pastor. And he always used to share this verse with us. We didn't have a youth pastor, but we had youth in the church. And we'd meet with Pastor Aaron And he liked to share with us from Colossians chapter 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The life you're living, can you do it in the name, in Jesus' character, as following Jesus, as a Christ follower, as a Christian? And all you do and all you say Is it in keeping with the high calling? The Apostle Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you have. And what are you called? You're called to bear the name of Jesus. And it's a powerful name. Demons flee at the name of Jesus. Illnesses are healed at the name of Jesus. Because it's not just a name, it's Jesus himself, the one who bears that name. And when we share that name and pray in the name, it's powerful. The book of Acts. Peter and John went to the temple. 
They didn't have any money in their pocket. And they walked by a beggar, a man who they saw there every day at the beautiful gate. Peter told the beggar, hey, look at me. Because the beggar had his eyes just on the feet as they went by and his hand out. It's not on the screen, but it, in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong because their strength in the name of Jesus. He healed him in Jesus' name. Jesus healed him. Later, Peter and John were taken once again before the Sanhedrin. They were always in trouble. And in his defense, Peter says in verse 16, explaining what had happened. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. There's power in the name of Jesus. We recognize that when we we pray in Jesus' name. Sometimes if we're not careful, it's just a sound we tack on at the end of the prayer to wrap it up. In Jesus' name we pray. We don't even think about it. As name bearers, we need to. Because when you're praying in Jesus' name, you're recognizing that you are in Christ and Christ is the Father's right hand and He is interceding on your behalf. Your prayer goes through Him to the Father. You're praying in His name. And you need to pray in accordance with His will. Jesus says, when you pray in my name, you're praying in my will. It's as if I'm praying. It's a prayer that I would pray if I was in your situation. The Apostle John wrote this in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. He says, And I will do, this is Jesus speaking, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's not just saying, Lord, give me this week's 649 numbers. In Jesus' name I pray. I'm not going to do it. The book of James, James says you have not because you ask with wrong motives to spend everything on yourself. You're selfish in your prayer. When you're praying in Jesus' name, you're praying from Jesus' heart to His Father. John says as much in John chapter 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Do you hear? See what's synonymous there? In Jesus' name is synonymous with in accordance with His will. We know God's will by knowing God. We know God by His revealed Word, the Bible. Through spending time with Him. Through being led by His Spirit. And spending time with our brothers and sisters in the faith. God guides us in so many ways. We pray with God's love for situations. We pray in accordance with His will. And He hears and He answers. You will bear the name of Jesus forever. In heaven, I've often wondered, will we be known as Christians? Because there's people of the Old Testament, people of faith and, and, and angelic beings, but the Lord says, you will bear my name. One of the 
letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in the book of Revelation, to the church in Philadelphia, his encouragement to each one of those churches take a different form. But to the church in Philadelphia, to those who endure that persecution, Jesus says this, verse 11, Revelation 3, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. (laughs) We will be name bearers forever. What a blessing that is. So friends, how then shall we live? How will you be at work as a name bearer of Jesus? How do you relate to your family, your neighbors, your friends as one who bears Jesus' name? A Christian. There was an American diplomat who's now one of these uh, pundits on television. You'll see him from time to time talking on different political issues. But he said something that struck home to me. His name is Alan Keyes. Here's what he says. When are Christian folks going to remember that every time you call yourself a Christian, you invoke the name of God? And that if you then walk a walk that does not reflect the presence of Christ in your life, cast a vote that does not reflect the presence of Christ in your life, then you are taking the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. When will we remember that? The life we live needs to reflect the name we bear. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to You in the name of Jesus, Lord, we recognize that we seek Jesus' heart. When we pray about situations and people we care about, Lord, we bring them to You and ask You to bless them and heal them and love them and protect them in the way that Jesus does. Lord, we want to be salt and light. When people encounter us, we want them to experience Your grace, the grace of Jesus. Lord, may we never live lives that are unworthy to the name that we bear. We know we do every day. Lord, we fall short in so many ways. But Lord, keep the name of Jesus ever before us as we seek to live in Him and grow in Him and become more like Him every day. Father, this is our prayer. And we pray it in the name of our intercessor, our advocate, Jesus, who lives and is at Your right hand. We pray it all in His name. Amen. Amen.